Are you a 3PL spending more time and money than you'd like recruiting and onboarding logistics roles? Then it's time to check out Rapido Solutions Group, the leaders in nearshore logistics staffing. Located right next door in Mexico, they have access to the freight talent you need. From carrier sales to tracking and tracing and everything in between, they can do the heavy lifting for you. So if you're ready to get your time back and want to move fast, check out Rapido Solutions Group. Visit GoRapido.com to get started today. Hello and welcome to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics, the FreightWaves podcast highlighting founders doing it the way that doesn't get a lot of attention. We're here to change that and grow the small business community in our industry by sharing their stories and inspiring others to take the leap. I'm your host, Nate Schutz. Let's build something together from the ground up. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode. I usually start these episodes talking lately about how exciting it is to be at this place in time in the logistics industry with all the wild and crazy things that are happening, but also just the new relationships that are developing. And it is an exciting time. There are so many interesting technologists out there and risk takers and former executives that are leaping into entrepreneurship. And it has been a blast to get to know them and an honor to share their stories. I guess I didn't expect it to be as fun as it has turned out to be. Talking shop can be a blast, but getting to know folks is also a blast. So thank you. And we are excited this week to add one more member to the Bootstrappers community. This week, we welcome Onu Okabie from HTL Freight in Charlotte, North Carolina. Onu, tell me a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Nate. Thanks for having me. It's really an honor. Um, yeah, a little bit about me. Born and raised in Lagos, Nigeria. Came to the United States when I was six or seven. By way of formal education, you can call me a finance and accounting guy. Went down that path just because that was what I knew. My dad was a CPA, so following his footsteps. Did my undergraduate studies at Georgia Tech, um, focused in accounting. <laughs> surprise, surprise. I realized that that really wasn't for me. I still ended up going down that path. Got my first opportunity in industry as a staff accountant at the Home Depot. Subsequently after that, essentially decided to leave that job. A friend of mine, his uncle just got let go from a transportation job. So at the time, I had some money saved up, saw it as a business opportunity. So I, I you know, approached him and I said, hey, listen, I'm going to go ahead and buy a truck and I would like for you to be my driver. Um, and that was how I got into the logistics industry. So long story short, ended up growing that fleet from zero to five trucks and it sold that business to a local competitor. After that, I went back into industry as a corporate controller for a class eight truck dealer. Did that for some time. That company got purchased by Stevens Inc. So after you know being involved with that transaction, I knew I wanted to be involved with structured finance, for lack of a better word. So that led me to enroll at Gozueta Business School, Harvard Business School of the South. So did that, focused in M&A and finance with the plan on getting some analysts or private equity job. But for whatever reason, Nobody would take me on. I would apply, 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 but nobody would take me on. So at the time, I said, you know what? I'm just going to do it myself, you know, rather than going to work for one of those big private equity firms and, and doing deals for, you know, other partners. I would just start my own deal. I connected with a buddy of mine. We also went to the same business school. Um, and he's also a partner of mine right now. And we decided to go the entrepreneurial through acquisition route, 
you know, his background is also in logistics. He worked for a building materials company where he managed over a billion dollars in logistics spend. So we connected together with my background on the asset side. You know, we, you know, made a plan to go after the freight brokerage world. And for me, the reason why we focus on freight brokerage is because as a carrier, I dealt with a lot of freight brokers and most of my experiences weren't positive. So I knew I wanted to do things a little bit differently. Purchased our first company February of 2021. We did a second acquisition November of 2021. So right now we're working on integrations. The first company is a flatbed specific broker out of Charlotte, North Carolina. And the other one that we purchased in November was uh, more of a generalized freight broker out of Wilmington, North Carolina. So you've done then the cold startup yourself and had a successful exit. And now you're doing entrepreneurship through acquisition, which is a fundamentally different path where you need different skill sets and need to be able to navigate other people perhaps differently. What do you see as being the biggest differences as a founder of each of those paths? Great question. As a founder, it's hard. I mean, as you know, it's hard to start something from zero to try to grow because you don't have a name. Nobody knows you in the marketplace. It's hard to get your foot in the door. There's a saying, nobody ever got fired for buying an IBM. Like that is true in the startup world because if you're looking to go get new customers, the risk of somebody taking a chance on somebody new is higher than them sticking with the devil that they know. So oftentimes, founders have a hard time going from zero to 10 million. Once you hit that 10 million mark, essentially smooth sailing from 10 to 20. From 20, you have other sets of challenges for you to get a 50. And then from 50 to 100, you have a, another set of challenges. And after you get to 100, you kind of have that economies of scale in order for you to scale a little bit faster. From an entrepreneurship through acquisition perspective, also has some challenges because you have to, um, one, know the industry that you're getting into. But number two, find somebody that's willing to transact with you. So oftentimes you're dealing with, you know, small business owners, you know, for them, they started a business, you know, for example, our first acquisition, the founder and his dad founded a business in the early 1980s. So for them to let go of their baby, for lack of a better word, is very emotional, right? So you really have to, you know, sell yourself and ensure that you're going to be making sure that their legacy continues to live on. Because oftentimes, like they've heard about the prototypical private equity guys that are coming in, you know, trying to cut costs, laying people off. But that's not what we do. You know, we are people first. We believe people are the backbone of any business. You know, if you treat your people well, they treat your customers well, your customers will keep on coming back. So for us, like anytime we're talking to potential sellers, it's all about the people because that's what we care about just inherently as founders. But we also know that's what the sellers care about is how will their people make out after they transact. Well, and that's a common misconception. I think that's out there is, hey, I have a bunch of business skill. I've been trained formally or I've worked in a big company. And so I I can look at a small business and see all the things that they're doing wrong. And all I have to do is go buy one and then I can optimize it and make a bunch of money. And how hard could it be? Famous last words. The simple process of identifying a target that you might want to acquire and then establishing trust with them that you are different is not an overnight 
process. It's not like you just go on biz buy sell and find a business and make an offer and you close in 30 days. What is it actually like? Yeah, I wish it was that easy, but it's not. It actually took us two plus years to find our first business. Really had to, you know, kiss a lot of frogs, but we weren't eager to transact either. We wanted to make sure that we were finding the right partner because oftentimes you're going to want to have the old owner stay on for, you know, at a bare minimum a year to transition everything properly. So it's, you really want to make sure that you hit it off with that seller. You don't rush that process because if you do, you might end up in a very bad situation. And I've heard tons of horror stories and we can probably talk about that over beer someday. But we wanted to make sure that the person that we were partnering up with um, and transacting with was the right person for us. So it took us longer than it should have. It's because we were very, very intentional in the type of people we wanted to work with. Once you have acquired successfully, the job is still not over, though. You can't just put it on autopilot and it's somehow passive income. The integration period of a new owner and the feeling that there's going to be a new culture established that's going to change you know, a legacy culture. How do you approach the first 90 days? The first 90 days, you will be tempted to make a ton of changes. Because oftentimes, if you're, especially if you're dealing with a small business, the process, <laughs> there's a lot of room for improvement when it comes to processes, right? Also with technology, just you know, speaking honestly, like the first business we acquired didn't have any technology. So for the first 90 days, I literally had to sit my hands and just not say anything and not make any changes just because you really have to immerse yourself in a business and understand why they have certain processes, right? Because oftentimes people get tempted to make those changes because they feel like they know it all. And oftentimes they don't. So they come in, they make a ton of changes and it comes back and, and buys them in the butt for lack of a better word. So for us is we made sure that we, you know, talk with the employees, talk with the owner, talk to some customers to make sure that we really understood the playing field before we wanted them going and make any changes. And that requires two things that you know, kind of notably stand out as I listen to you. One is humility in recognizing that you don't know everything or why things are the way that they are inside of a small business. And then the second part is patience to learn that and establish the trust of the team before you begin to implement changes. Would you say that the lack of those two characteristics is what makes sellers so nervous? I would say so. Even before I, I jump into that, the seller has done something right because we want to buy his business. He has a successful business. Whatever he was doing, whether antiquated or not, was working for him. So it's really humility, understanding that you as the new owner, you don't know it all. I know logistics, but everybody's business is different, right? I mean, so we're freight brokerage. I can go into the other freight broker down the street, somebody in Chicago, somebody in the Northeast, and everybody operates differently. So really having the humility, sitting back, shutting up, and just watching and listening and really understanding the playing field before you try to make any changes. And to build on what you said about trust, that's also very key. Making sure you have, you get the buy-in from the people. Yes, you're the new owner, but you need the people in order for you to have a business. So you have to go in and you have to get the trust, articulate your vision frequent and often, 
get the trust. So when you do decide to make changes, people aren't fighting you on those changes. They're actually going to be champions to your changes once you've gained that trust from the team members. So that was our playbook in relation to getting everybody to buy in. And when we did start making some changes and changes for the better, everybody received it well. It's a fascinating paradox because like you said, what the seller has done has been successful and yet you see future potential in it with some changes. But in order to facilitate those changes, you have to establish trust. You have to go through a lengthy due diligence process. And then you have to have confidence in the team that's going to remain once the former owner is no longer in the business. The success rate is largely dependent on the buyer and what their approach is to navigating that complex emotional minefield. Where did you develop the skills and intuition to be able to navigate that terrain? That's a loaded question, right? <laughs> because it's all we ask here on the bootstrap this guide is loaded questions. Yeah. Um, I mean, I really couldn't tell you. I mean, I would say my life in general has been some ups and downs for me. So, I mean, I was an athlete growing up. You know, I played basketball, I played football. I'm six one. I was never the tallest. I was never the most athletic. I always set goals. I always, I was always able to sit back and learn and understand that I didn't know everything. And like, that's really the first step. If once you understand that you don't know everything, the world essentially opens up for you. You know, for me, it's, there hasn't really been a thing that I've said I wanted to do that I haven't been able to do. You know, just taking it back to middle school, trying for the basketball team, didn't make it. I was distraught. Thought there were people that made the team that had less skill than I did, but for whatever reason, I didn't make the team. That summer, I worked my butt off. Next year, I made the freshman team. Sophomore year, I made the varsity team. I mean, I had some pretty good accolades at the state level. Fast forward, when I was going through the whole wanting to be an accountant, I said, I'm going to be a CPA. It wasn't something that I loved. I set out and got it anyways, because I said I was going to do it. The MBA, same thing. Something that at the time, I knew it was a necessary evil for me to rebrand myself as somebody in finance so I can get into private equity because I really wanted to get into private equity. That didn't work out. And I said, I'm going to do it myself. With that being said, like when we first bought the first business, I realized first things first, I don't know it all. So let me sit back, watch the playing field because like that's how I've always succeeded in the past is sitting back, shutting up, listening more and then executing after I have all the information. So I just went with the same approach, buying businesses here. It's worked. The reason why I say that's a loaded question is because there is not just that one thing that gave me those attributes. It's just over time, the more life you live, the more wisdom you have, and the more that you realize that you don't know it all. And you're really not the best things in sliced bread. So it's just keep your ego at the door. Understand that there are other people in the room that know more than you do. And just keep it moving. We'll be right back. Have you heard about Bitfreighter and the EDI revolution? Bitfreighter helps companies automate communication with their freight partners through unlimited messaging and quoting. Traditional providers can't say that. The Bitfreighter team is also available 24-7 and responds immediately by phone, email, or yes, even text. Legacy providers can't say that either. So if you want to scale your operations to save time and money, come join the EDI revolution with us. Visit bitfreighter.com to get started today. It reminds me of 
like the tempering process that, you know, metals go through when they're being refined to be used in something, say a sword, for example, a samurai sword, it kind of comes to my mind that you start with a chunk of metal and then they, they melt it down and they remove all the impurities called dross. And then what's left is a more refined material. But the process of removing the dross is quite painful. It is incredibly high temperatures, incredibly high pressure. Then on the other side of that, what comes out is a more perfected or a more improved material. And I think we all have this idea that we would like to be tempered in that way, but none of us actually wants to go through that process. And the setbacks, quote, you know, that you've had in your life, it sounds like have conditioned you to no matter what, find a way. And so the front door is closed to you. Okay, I'm going to go in the back door. And then you make some progress there. And then, okay, that door got closed and I'm going to go in through a window. And the ability to keep learning from disappointments and setbacks is a character trait that it has nothing to do with logistics or, or starting a company. It just happens to be incredibly valuable in that pursuit. It's an honor to get to know you and share some of your story. I'm impressed with the the maturity that you've shown already going through the kind of refining process that you've gone through. So why logistics? Why do you love logistics so much? Well, logistics is an essential business, right? I'm sure you've heard this from your other guests, but like once you get into logistics, it's hard for you to get out. It always finds a way to keep on pulling you in. Like why logistics specifically for me is like I said, I mean, I had experience on the carrier side, um, was relatively successful there, understood what I didn't want to see in a broker. You know, our mission is to do it differently. So we want to be uh, one of the biggest brokers in the United States, but we just don't want to do it the old fashioned way. And we all know what the big guys do. And I'm not going to name any names here, but I just don't believe that's the right way to do it. I have a lot of friends that were ex-freight brokers, and they all have a bad taste in their mouth. Our people, our team members here, they just love the environment that we are creating. We recently just moved to a new office, not because of an ego thing. We did it for the people. We did it for the employees. We wanted to make sure that they had an environment where they can come in, work, also have fun, also get to know you know other people that are like-minded, and also you know be able to have uncapped potential from a career perspective. Logistics is, has a lot of problems. Um, it's messy. So, you know, we're setting out to fix it a little bit here. 10% of logistics is figuring out what just happened. 20% is figuring out what's happening right now. And 70% is trying to figure out what's about to happen. And one of the commonalities that I've found in people who love logistics is boredom with the status quo. Always want to be learning new things because you're always going to be faced with new challenges. And this industry offers so much rich material for problem solving. Do you like puzzles or like strategy games or anything along those lines? We've been able to, we've been fortunate enough to have very good people. So the day to day, I have been able to remove myself from it. So now it's just thinking about like, how do we take this to the next level, right? You know, asking the right questions, you know, from the people on the front lines, like, what can we do differently? What tools do we need? So it's really all about putting the right pieces together. So I'm not going to be sitting down putting the actual puzzle together. But from a business perspective, how to get to the next level is a puzzle. Is how do you make sure you have the right people in the right seats? You have those people in the right seats. Do they have the right tools to do the job that you're asking them to do? Are your incentives aligned with what you're trying to achieve? 
So you have to put all those things together in order for you to get the execution you actually are looking for. It's tricky. I mean, I might make it sound simple, but it's not. It's a lot of moving pieces. There are a lot of unintended consequences that you just have to live through and, and learn and pivot. It's an iterative process. It's an iterative process. Well, you have fit the puzzle pieces together for understanding yourself already. It sounds like you have identified what your motivations are. It sounds like, oh, you are motivated maybe by people telling you you can't do something. And then that inspires you to to somehow find a way. You have taken this journey of self-improvement and education and learning to develop greater capabilities. And then you've wrapped all of that in some degree of character that, that speaks to a gap in the industry and this feeling of, I've seen it done wrong so many times or so many ways, and I want to do it better. You know, the combination of all those things is a really potent mix. I'm super excited to see your specific path you know, through organic growth now that you have two businesses, your future acquisitions that I know you're already planning out. So if you look two years from now, how would you describe what success looks like at that point? Success is for me is relative, right? So for example, I mean, I said I wanted to be in private equity in some capacity, buy and sell businesses and things like that. Being in private equity wasn't really the goal. It was just the opportunity to transact, to create value. When I was able to find, you know, I want to piggyback on what you said before about, okay, the front door isn't open. Okay, let me try the back door. Back door isn't open. Let me try the window. So in finding that avenue to get to that same place, that's what I define as success, right? So for us in two years, you know, we want to be at a hundred million in top line revenue, right? That's what success would be. And then after that, you know, we have the next milestone, 250, 500, a billion. So success, there is no end for success. Success is, are you able to hit your goals? And once you accomplish those goals, then I would consider that successful. You know, we also want to be one of the best places to work in Charlotte, North Carolina. And we are putting the things in place, making sure our people believe that we're the best place to work in in Charlotte. And it's just not, oh, we have this cool award like for PR. It's no, we, we want to have people that are in the business working for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You know, we take anniversaries very, very seriously. Because we are fortunate to have somebody that's willing and looking forward to working at ACL Freight. So being one of the places to work, it's not going to be an award. It's going to be something that we're going to be getting feedback from our employees saying, I love working here. I'm not even thinking about going anywhere else. Conversation is, is right. The environment is right. The culture is great. So what else do I need? So that's what I would consider success is getting that feedback from the people. Right now, I feel like we're successful. What a fulfilling feeling to have found a place where you're doing something that you're obviously good at. You love the industry itself. The world clearly needs it. And it's profitable. That is, a again, another potent combination. And once somebody finds that, it's a Japanese concept called ikigai, which is a reason for being. Once you've found your ikigai, why would you ever leave that? You're finding that overlapping cross-section where the best of who you are fits in with all these other parts of your life. What advice would you have to 
new founders or those who are just now starting their entrepreneurship through acquisition journey as, as they seek to find that same place that you found? My biggest piece of advice would be be patient, especially in this new economy that we, we live in. Everybody wants things fast. I mean, even our customers, right? <laughs> Everybody wants that Amazon treatment, getting everything next day, same day. Entrepreneurs, we also want results. That's not practical. It's, I mean, I have the same, Rome wasn't built in a day, but it was built. It's really all about the building blocks. So you take it one day at a time, put one brick on top of each other over time, and all of a sudden you have a big pyramid. And you realize, and you try to figure out, like, how did I get here? But it, you got there because you weren't trying to take shortcuts and you were taking your time and just going through the process and enjoying the process. Another thing I would say is if you, you know, have a significant other, you have a family, just make sure you get them bought into what you're trying to do because <laughs> you need both sides in order for you to be successful. If the significant other, the kids aren't aligned with what you're trying to do, it's just not going to work because there's going to be conflicting interests on both sides. So like I said before, you know, like we were based in Atlanta, Georgia. I relocated the family to Charlotte. If I didn't have the buy-in from the wife, that <laughs> probably wouldn't have happened. And I would have been living the consultancy life in relation to being away Monday through Friday, being at home on the weekends, driving back or flying back to Charlotte. That just wasn't sustainable. Tried that for some time and realized that, hey, you know, daddy does want to see his kids and daddy does want to spend time with the family and the wife. Um, so, you know, she made some sacrifices and she relocated herself and uprooted herself and, you know, said bye to her friends and, and things of that nature to, you know, move up to Charlotte, North Carolina so we can pursue and grow this business that we're growing. Well, for a relationship driven industry like ours, it, it is really encouraging to hear you talk about the relationships that are closest to you. That first ring of your nuclear family is the set of relationships that comes first be, before all of the other relationships. And those other relationships can enable wonderful things for your family and for those closest to you. And keeping them aligned is super crucial. So this has been you know, the Entrepreneurship Through Acquisition Masterclass with Onu Akebiye on today's episode. Onu, I am so glad to get to meet you and share part of your story. Where can people find you? you can find me on LinkedIn, if you're on LinkedIn pretty much where I hang. <laughs> um, you can also, you know, shoot me an email if you want to connect, onu, O-N-U, at htlfreight.com. I mean, I'm, I'm always looking forward to connecting with, you know, like-minded individuals, um, you know, customers, carriers. I love having conversations. I love getting to know people. That's how you can, you can reach me. Thank you so much for being here today. Everyone, thank you for listening as well. You can subscribe to the show. Wherever you get your podcast, you can join the conversation online. I'm at Logistics Twit on Twitter. You can find us on LinkedIn or at FreightWaves.com or the Freightcast podcast episodes. Ono, please keep up the good work. We are all rooting for you. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for listening to another founder share their story on the Bootstrapper's Guide to Logistics. If you'd like to become part of the story yourself, please subscribe to our show and leave a review. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.